0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 169, Top 10 Themes in Board Games. We'd like to thank our new Patreon backer, Christian, for joining the BGA team.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of
0: like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, board game season's ramping up. The conventions are about to kind of pop out, and we have, I guess, a new announcement. One of the conventions that we thought might be gone, might come back, actually did announce our date. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, like, we were actually just talking about this off-air, like, a week or two ago, and we were actually trying to plan the rest of our year, convention-wise, and usually they give us a few months' notice, upwards of a year, <laughs> so we know when it's going to happen. But we weren't sure if PAX Unplugged was going or not going. We had a huge amount of fun while we were there. It was a really good con. They sold a ton of tickets. We assumed it was happening, and then radio silence, but... Just a couple days ago, they announced that they are, in fact, holding PAX Unplugged number two for 2018, November 30th to December 2nd, so that is going to happen at the end of November this year, and uh, you have your chance to register starting in a couple days, I think it's May 17th, so uh, three days after this episode goes live, you can register for that and hit up PAX Unplugged. It's not at the same time as BGG Con this year, which is nice. There is no Dice Tower Cruise this year, uh, just a small little gathering that they're having in Florida. So, lots of opportunity for people who couldn't make it last year to make it. We don't know what we're doing yet because we just found out it's happening, but we will almost certainly try to have a presence in Philly this year. Really cool con. So, pretty happy it's back. That's it. It was good. It was a lot of fun. The space was great. The area is great. So it's uh, cool to see they're coming back.
0: Yeah, I always like to see board gaming expand, and this will be Philly again. So if you haven't checked it out the first time, definitely recommend checking out the second time. We'll be following up with more information once the press releases become available. And try to bring you some inside information so that you can make that decision if PAX Unplugged, Gen Con, or any of the other conventions are definitely worth your time. All right, I think, so that's what's going on outside of board gaming. Let's talk about what's going on with BGA. We have uh, our own special event coming up. Why don't you tell everybody about that? So much stuff, you guys. So much stuff.
1: First up, the first thing coming up here, we have Origins coming up in less than a month. If you're going to be at Origins, let us know. A couple people already told us they're going to be there. We will be there starting on Wednesday, the middle of the day. We'll be there through Sunday. Uh, at least one of us and we would love to hang out so let us know you're going to be there we can meet up we can say hi we can play a game grab a meal um, whatever it is you want to do or that we have you know we're meeting up in between events to do it's the best part of any convention and a smaller con like this is the best opportunity to meet up and hang out and and this particular con in particular is a lot of fun for that the other thing we want to talk about is our next contest so we have four years ago we did our fantasy world cup tournament we picked 32 fantasy games we counted them down we picked our top fantasy game uh, with drew and we had a lot of fun with that episode and a lot of people really liked it we got a lot of really good feedback they wanted more of it but unfortunately the world cup only happens every four years so we've waited and now it's back. The World Cup is happening at the end of June, into July, and so we're going to be having this contest the middle of June um, before that kicks off. So in the next two weeks, we're going to have specific details and our brackets, which we're putting together right now. You should see those in the next week or so. 32 sci-fi games, I should say. We're going to pick one out of all of these. So we have eight groups of four. We're going to pick two winners from each of those eight groups. Those are going to face off in a round of 16, similar to our you know annual bracket contests that we do and we're going to pick one sci-fi space fantasy hard science fiction type of game to win this overall contest if you have games you think should be in this let us know i'm going to put up a question of the day uh tomorrow after this episode comes out of your favorite science fiction game and we're going to add those to our queue and after that, we're gonna pull together our total bracket and we're gonna put it up as a contest. So whoever comes closest in terms of picking the winners of each group as well as the overall bracket will have a chance to win a free game from this group of science fiction games. And so we're gonna have a lot of fun with that. Uh we'll have very specific details next week on how you can enter the contest. The episode is going up on June 10th, so that's how long the contest is going to run. Get in there. Let us know what you think. Uh, you have your chance tomorrow to enter your answer to the question of the day on Facebook or Twitter, and we'll roll it into the rest of the episode. So uh, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, and that's coming real soon. All right, Anthony. So speaking about our question of the week, what is our question of the week this week? Question of the week, um, I asked everybody, is because it is con season and we are talking so much about Origins and Gen Con and packs. What is your most anticipated game of the summer? So, we have a lot of new releases coming at Origins, a ton of new releases coming at Gen Con, and then a few things in between from the publishers who just want to kind of bury us <laughs> in, in new games. So, I asked everybody what they're looking forward to the most. Lots and lots of good answers. We have George mentions Abyss Levi- Leviathan uh, as well as Rise of Fenris, both of those expansions. Uh, Chris mentions the second edition of Tiny Epic Defenders coming from Kickstarter. Jason mentions Founders of Gloomhaven, which is he's looking forward to getting to the table. Uh, it should be shipping soon. That's a Kickstarter again, and it should be shipping in the next month or so. So it should be coming over the summer. Rodney mentions Vindication, the game formerly known as Epic. And I'm actually going to be talking about a different Epic later in this episode, which is probably why this game changed its name. Tom mentioned the Island of El Dorado. And John mentioned Deep Madness, uh, as well as Jerry's mention of Brass. And Tim, which is one of our Patreon backers, mentioned his own game, which of course he's excited for, uh, shipping later this summer. It's Archmade. I have a bunch of stuff I'm excited for. I think the one I'm starting to get the most excited for, though, is Inca and Marcus Brand's legacy game, The Rise of Queensdale. Okay. Um, I've heard some early reviews of this, that it's good. Uh, It's got elements of Changing the Dice. Every has their own personal dice. You can change the die faces. You keep the things you gain between rounds. Lots of cool stuff that sounds very interesting to me. Fixing some of the issues I see with games like Seafall or Charterstone that didn't really work. So that one's coming out of Gen Con. I'm pretty excited for that.
0: Yeah, one of the games I'm looking forward to, it should be demoing at Origins, and it hopefully will be out at Gen Con, is something that was on my acquisition disorder not too long ago, Coimbra. This is a card-drafting, dice-rolling, renaissance game. Beautiful artwork. It's from the designers of Lorenzo and Grand Austria Hotel, and Anthony and I do love their games a lot. This seems to be a kind of fun mix, and really, really kind of draws the eye as far as not just the artwork, but the gameplay. It looks like something really dynamic. Yeah, yeah, this one's really cool. It looks beautiful, and the designer pedigree here alone is enough for me to get excited. Definitely. All right, so that's our question week. Now on to our acquisition disorders. So, Anthony, there is so much to want to play this coming board gaming season. What's up
1: for you this week? Okie dokie. Uh, the first game on my list comes courtesy of the Origins Preview List. Uh, this is a game people have been talking about for a little while, but no one was really sure when they were actually going to get around to publishing it. It's called Epic Early Inventors and is from Martin F., uh, this is the designer of Limes, um, kind of an underrepresented gem from 2014, as well as Cities, which was a Spiel yard recommendation back in 2009, I believe. And it is a game from Rio Grande Games. So that's why we have no idea that it was coming out, because Rio Grande does no marketing at all. This <laughs> so is always a surprise when they release a game. It is a civilization game, a little bit of exploration mixed in, um and it is early civilization and so you are building out a landscape of hexagonal tiles based on the cards you play and you're going to be able to it's a modular board that's going to build over the course of the game and you'll be able to gather different kinds of food and fish and hunt for deer and explore adjacent cards and get new raw materials And really what you're trying to do is build up these early inventions that kind of help advance the civilization from prehistoric into the early, you know, stages of modern man. And so it has a lot of these interesting mechanics and it looks fairly abstract, but a lot of the things here that I do enjoy in, you know, kind of these early civilization games. I love civilization games, period. But when you're able to boil it down to a few raw materials, a few basic ideas, the same kind of sprawling space and table presence of a standard, um, civilization game, but boiling it down to a smaller period of time. I really enjoy that. And, uh, this is a game that I'm, I'm decently excited to see. Uh, it should be available for sale at Origins according to the preview and Rio Grande's, um, you know, early release information. Um, if it's not, it should be out this summer at some point. And either way, I hope to get a chance to play it and see what this game is like. So that is Epic Early Inventors coming out this summer.
0: Yeah, Rio Grande is really holding kind of a, a real gem behind, and I'm really surprised about this. They do a really nice production on their games, and this seems to be something that might kind of steal the show. Yeah, no, it really
1: feels like reading the, you know, general summary. The people have been excited about this game for a while. This is a game that I've periodically seen pop up, and it's been on my backburner acquisition disorder for a little bit of time of games coming out at Origins popped up. I was like, oh, it's on the list. Great. Why aren't they telling anybody, (laughs) you know? Um, So I'm pretty excited to check it
0: out. Definitely. Well, Anthony, you and I have enjoyed a lot of the Academy games, right? Especially the two-player kind of historical epics. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, there is a new Kickstarter coming out that I think might, once again, entice you into taking a look at Kickstarter. Now, it takes a lot of the elements that we like from Academy Games, especially 1775 Rebellion, but it is from Martin Wallace. And this is Martin Wallace's Lincoln American Civil War board game. Now, there is no dice in this game. It's a two-player game. It's an asymmetrical game in which one player plays the north and one player plays the south. The south player will start with a significant advantage, not just on where they'll be starting on the game board, but as far as resources and troops are concerned. And the north will kind of be trying to, I guess, build up their deck with resources and being able to move troops by a number of different rail lines and ship lines in order to capture enough southern cities in order to build up their deck and build up their army. What's great about this, and this is, of course, Martin Wallace, who's come up with such fantastic games in the past. Probably Brass is what he's best known for, but he also did A Few Acres of Snow and Gettysburg, a lot of other just really nice, crunchy games. This game plays in less than two hours. It's card-based. There's no dice. There's nothing to kind of fiddle with, but it's a war game that's using Euro elements. It's currently on Kickstarter. It's a beautiful production. It's not kind of the traditional martin wallace kind of very blank kind of uh palette here and it's just something that's pretty dynamic for a martin wallace game that utilizes war and euro game elements and this kickstarter backs on friday may 25th so check it out okay so week
1: six of chris (laughs) spending my money on the podcast guys (laughs) literally like the first like 10 lines of what you said i'm like "Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh martin Wallace two players asymmetrical come on (laughs) hard base man and it's beautiful too it it looks like a really great Uh, game this looks really really good yeah i'm gonna have to check this out in greater detail
0: all right so that's everything for acquisition Sawyers. now to our at the table with bga anthony we know about all the games that are coming up but what actually did get to your table these coming weeks okay so this is a game that i picked up
1: at gen con two years ago actually um we had Uh, A group of designers from Japan were displaying at Gen Con, uh, and they had their own booth. And this is one of the games they had available. This is previously Kickstarter, actually. Not a lot of people picked it up in the Kickstarter. It's called Iki, and it's designed by Kota Yamada, and publisher is Utsuroi. And it's currently actually available on the BoardGameGeek store. So they've yet to find a U.S. publisher, but BoardGameGeek occasionally gets a, a batch of this game in. And that's the reason I decided to talk about it this week, because it is currently available in very, very, very limited quantity. But if you hear this, there's probably a couple of those copies left you could check out. And I really, really like this game. So I wanted to talk about why I like it. If there are still copies, why you should pick it up. And, you know, what it does, it's a little bit different from other games in the genre. Basic idea of the game is you are building out a... A combination of things so you have a board that is a rondel. the whole board is a rondel. Um, the game takes place over 12 different rounds there's a 13th round just for scoring but very many rounds in which you're going to be moving around this rondel, and you are going to be building different cards that you place out on the rondelle spaces um, there are 16 different spaces on this rondel. they're all all but th- well the number that are available depends on the number of players at the beginning of the game. So between two and four of them are available at the beginning of the game, and the rest you are going to fill in as you go. And so the way the game works is you're going to move your guy around this board based on you know several different factors um, in terms of you know kind of where you're available to go and how how many spaces you can move, and that is going to determine which action you can take. So there's an action available for eight spaces on the board. So there are four different quadrants, and each of those quadrants has two different spaces you can go. Each of those two different spaces has two different spots for a card to live. And this is kind of, it sounds more complicated than it actually is, but there's just a lot of layers here. So when you land on a space, you're going to be able to activate that ability. First off, you can always activate that ability. You take that action. Um, Some of those actions are trade in money for different you know kinds of goods, so whether sandals that help you move further, or rice bales that help you feed your people, um, or you know fire firemen that help you protect yourself against fires that are going to happen throughout the game. And then the other thing is that you can then activate the card that is there if there's a card in that space in one of the two spaces. Now each of those cards is owned by a player in the game. If the card is owned by you, you just activate it. Nothing happens. If the card is owned by someone else, you still activate it, no difference, but they then get to move their little meeple up on the card, upgrade the ability of that artisan because you're visiting a stall in this market. And if they reach the end of that track, so there's three spots in the track, they will then be able to retire that card later in the game, like when they get all the way around the rondelle. If they retire the card, they remove it from the board, and it is worth additional points and kind of levels them up when they then go around the board each time. The reason this is important is that, A, you get the maximum reward from each of those cards, that's retired, and B, that's one less person you have to feed at the end of each round. You have to feed everybody. So... Um, however many cards you have on the board, you need to have one rice bale food available for each of those cards. So if you get a bunch of people out there and nobody's landing on them, then it's going to cost you more than if you get them off the board and you don't have to pay them. The other major factor here is the fires. The fires happen periodically throughout the game. I think there's three of them in the game. Um, the first one doesn't happen until the fifth round and the eighth round and then the 11th round. And so... The fires kind of work from the outside in. The less cards you have, the less likely you are to be impacted by them. And the more cards you have, the more likely you are to be impacted by them. So you want to make sure you get them off the board as much as you can. So there's this push pull where getting cards is good. They're worth points. You can generate more income. Um, you can build up your revenue, both in terms of money that helps you do more actions and points, just straight up victory points that'll help you win the game. But too many cards out on the board, not a good thing because then they can be dinged for you know food uh, that you can't feed them when you can't feed somebody you lose the card completely if the fire hits them you lose the card completely and then you've wasted a lot of actions so it's a very tight game if you don't play it right and efficiency is very important there's a lot of cards in the game they you're not going to see them all in any one game all of the artwork in this game is absolutely fantastic. My wife and I actually just went to uh, a presentation at the Carnegie Museum here in Pittsburgh with this ukyo art. And this is not quite to that level of the Takedo Road, but it's the same style, woodblock print style of artwork from you know medieval and ancient Japan. And it just looks really, really good. It's in English, but there's a lot of Japanese characters throughout the game and you don't really need to know what they are. Just adds to the kind of presence and, you know, presentation of the game overall. I'm s- generally surprised this game has not found a way to the West. I know it's it's very Japanese. It's very thematically linked to that time in history. There's a lot of language and characters that are specific to kind of that presentation. But at the same time, the game is really solid. I'm really glad I picked this up. It's a solid buy. If you see it on Board Game Geek, if it's still available, grab it. Um, the rule book is not particularly clear, but the game is not actually that complicated. So, the first time kind of running through it, you'll look back and be like, oh, I get all these things now. Very, very solid game. Had a lot of fun with it. Unhappy I took so long to
0: play it. That's icky. Yeah, I see this on Board Game Geek. They currently have 26 copies available, it's $60. And as you mentioned, the artwork and the setting here is is outrageous. It's beautiful.
1: It's so good. And it makes me so unhappy I didn't back it on Kickstarter. Because on Kickstarter, they had like a scroll version wow. that rolled out on this parchment. And then they had these little meeples that were carved of wood to represent your characters moving around the board. All these upgrades that are, to my knowledge, impossible to get now. You know, short of a crazy amount of money on eBay. Even just the basic version that
0: got picked up at Gen Con, I'm very happy. Well, I played a game that's been out for quite some time, something I wanted to get to the table, and that's Walnut Grove. Now, Walnut Grove reminds me of Little House on the Prairie. So if you've ever seen the TV show or if you've ever read the books, it's once again about this small town and about this family that's trying to make it through the kind of costly and dangerous winters by farming their land, trading resources with the town, picking up seasonal workers in order to help them farm, And once again, as every Euro game is, score victory points based upon tiles that you pick up in the game. Now, what's really interesting about this game is it plays very simply because it has these seasonal kind of dial that kind of flips over. And then it tells you spring, summer, fall, and winter and exactly what's going to be happening during those times. So you start off and all the players can do this at the same time with spring. So the player will take out of the bag several tiles based upon what the dial says and then you choose one of those tiles and you place it as part of your farmland. Now what's interesting about this game is you're going to have your own little home board that's going to have your home. It's going to have some wagons with fires to keep your workers warm. You're going to be able to ha- be able to store grain or different resources. And then on the top of your board it's going to have the start startings of woods, waters, uh, sheep, uh, farmland, as far as growing hay, and then stone. Now, you will need all those different resources in order to go to town and purchase additional buildings and upgrades and workers. But when you pick that tile, you'll get to make a decision on where you're going to place that tile to attach to your different areas of farmland. Now, if it connects with the fences and you're eventually able to kind of build a whole area that's surrounded by fences that's going to score you victory points in the game. Nonetheless, if it doesn't match, not a problem. But if it does match, here's where the kind of the brilliance of the game comes in. Your workers are going to be able to activate that section. So think Carcassonne, where you place a tile, then you place a meatball, and then something happens. Well, here, you'll be able to generate resources. Now, what's interesting about the game is the workers that you'll be able to pick up in the game eat a certain type of food. So if you pick up a yellow worker, it's going to eat grain, which is a yellow resource in the game. So obviously, you want to be able to produce enough grain to be able to feed your workers because during the winter phase, you'll have to feed your people. And it's possible that during that particular year, your people might require more food or in some cases, even more heat because the winter might be significantly worse. So you'll have to produce more wood for that particular phase. Once the summer passes then what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to go and place your workers in order to gain those resources, and then you'll be able to go to the town. Now, the town is really interesting because there's a lot of duplicate actions, and I mentioned this before. You'll pick up workers. You'll pick up tiles, score victory points. You'll pick up newborns, and generally you'll be able to get to transfer resources from one to the other or be able to score money, which will give you victory points in the game. But basically, you're going to take one move. So wherever you are on the board, you're gonna be able to choose any any number of spaces you want to travel, but you're gonna to get to do one thing. So you'll do you one thing, you'll deal with the winter and the resources that are needed, you'll be able to pay off those resources, and then the game repeats over eight times. That's basically the game. It's very short, it's very simple. You'll be placing tiles throughout the game. You'll be able to get special bonus tiles that score victory points on a whole number of different things. And there are three spots on the bottom of the board for that as well. This game plays on the lighter side. It was enjoyable. It was a little too simple. I never really felt that my people were in danger of not having enough food or enough wood. The game is worth, I would say, a play and just a play. It's maybe a little too light and a little too easy for what the game should be. And I mean that just because it's not too simple, but the game definitely needs an expansion. It just needs something more to add to the game because just placing the tiles and placing the workers isn't really enough to kind of make you feel like you're playing this game. So for Walnut Grove it's a play this is a
1: game that i only know about because it shows up in the solo groups a lot i haven't had a chance to play it i think the times that it was super duper cheap at the mayfair booths, i missed it and
0: now mayfair is owned by Asmodee, so never again <laughs> so missed it well, well don't worry eventually day will get bought by somebody else and then who knows what might happen then these games will never exist again that's what will happen again well there you go Depressing. all right so let's get on to our feature review so for our feature review with this week we are talking about the top 10 themes in board games now specifically what we want to talk about is the themes that work best with the mechanics so when you play in a game you really do feel like that theme is coming through playing the mechanic so when you're looking for a great theme and you're looking for it to play great in a game these 10 are the best as far as board gaming is concerned So, Anthony, why don't you start us off on our number 10? All right, so I think the
1: category that we could not possibly ignore, um, and you might think otherwise when we're done with this 10 that we ignored some we shouldn't have, but the one that's been the hottest in the last few years is deduction and social deduction. So, really, any game where you're trying to figure out something that someone else knows. Um, So we're talking about games like Mysterium. Mysterium is one of the most thematic games you can play. It's a solid hobby game, but it's also a solid... You know non-hobby player game where anybody can get into it because the basic idea of the game is very simple try to figure out this basic thing based on these clues you're given so it is resistance it is avalon it is any of these games the coup any of these games where you're trying to figure out a basic idea that someone else is trying to give you or hide from you and beat them in the process and there are a lot of games like this they're all very very popular and there's a good reason for that. There are solid games, and uh, for people who really enjoy that type of game, um, there are so many
0: good options out there right now. All right, our number nine is industrial-slash-stock games. So when you're looking to play a game that really utilizes mechanics in a really nice, interesting, dynamic way, stocks are really the way to go. Now, you can, of course, go to all of the wonderful 18XX games. It's all about stocks or Airlines Europe. But what I want to point out is Acquire. Acquire's been out for quite some time, and has standed the test of time. It's actually gotten multiple reprints, and basically it's all about purchasing the the right stocks at the right time, hopefully buying low and selling high, and evaluating the right values of the different properties or resources that you're buying. So that's our number nine, industrial slash stocks. All right, so number eight is exploration. In space. So
1: there's a lot of 4X games out there. So you could talk about any really exploration game in any type of genre. You know, like if you're talking about Empire's Age of Discovery or whatever. But really the genre that made this particular mechanic sing is space. So you've got games like Eclipse. You've got games like Twilight Imperium. Uh, any of the editions, but the most recent, the fourth edition, is this idea of exploring and uncovering new planets and doing exciting interesting things in space whether it's building new colonies or you know going to war against other people who are trying to infringe on your territory whatever it is there's a lot of cool things you can do out here and that's beautiful theme that works across a lot of different types of games all
0: right our number 7 is of course trading in the Mediterranean there's so many games that have brought us these wonderful theme by utilizing mechanics that are basically sailing your ship, running off your wagons, or taking your caravan through these exotic areas in order to pick up rare resources, spices and goods, and then trading them at particular trading houses throughout the different lands in the Mediterranean. It's typically a wonderful, beautiful map that comes along with trade houses and different meeples as far as traders and ships and everything else. So if you're looking for a great game that has a theme kind of baked into the mechanics trading the mediterranean is the way to go
1: all right number six very closely related to trading the mediterranean is farming who would have thought that farming would be one of the top mechanics in board games we love our euros we love our farming games we have game pretty much any game from Uwe rosenberg recent classics like clans of caledonia really any game that takes this whole idea of building up a farm, maintaining different sources of income, whether it's from vegetables or animals, or and then feeding your people and keeping people alive throughout the various seasons of the game. There are so many good games that do this in very unique and interesting ways. There's just something particularly concise and particular about farming that works in a Euro, and it's a theme that is going to keep coming back because it always works, even if the mechanics change a little bit. That's number six, farming.
0: Our number five is Star Wars. It's really hard not to talk about Star Wars as far as theming is concerned. Now, while it is its own IP, there have been so many great games that have come out of this, I guess, sci-fi fantasy universe that we had to include it. And in particular, the one that really does it the best as far as mechanics and theming are concerned is Star Wars Rebellion. You are basically building up the Galactic Empire to search out the Rebellion that's hiding somewhere out there on the board with all these wonderful miniatures and Death Stars that are flying around, utilizing all these different heroes while the Rebellion tries to strike back. This is a fantastic theme, and in all of the Star Wars games, they really do a great job of integrating into the mechanics. That's our number five, Star Wars. Number four
1: is historical. So these are games that... Hit on this historical element, the whether it's a war game in the theme of pretty much any GMT game, all the coin games where you're touching on specific types of historical encounters, such as Cuba Libre, or the games in Vietnam, or the games in you know uh, revolutionary area of America, um, or we're talking about the Birth of America series from Academy Games or the Birth of Europe series such Eight Seven Eight Vikings. Historical games really capture the whole idea of that era of history, not just what happened and the people and the ideas of that era, but the actual mechanics of how those different groups engaged with each other. So in a game like 878 Vikings, you have the Vikings pouring into England and you have the, the English people just barely trying to survive and kind of that push pull mechanic of the game and just trying to stay alive as much as possible. And the games that manage to do that the most effectively are the games that really evoke a really strong thematic presence on the table. And there are so many good games that do this, and it's getting better and better by the year as the mechanics improve. Uh, So that is
0: number four, historical games. Our number three is sci-fi. Now we're talking hard sci-fi here. And one of the great things about board gaming is it really can bring hard sci-fi to the table and to people in a really dynamic way. So we're going to be talking about terraforming mars so terraforming mars is all about efficiency engines and if you're building out in space it's all about efficiency it's all about creating and developing new technology and implementing the best way possible there are so many great games for this but terraforming mars does a great job utilizing this technology building upon it and over multiple multiple generations it's all about sci-fi in the future and that's our number three all right number two is civilization games This is one
1: of my absolute favorite themes across any type of game. We're talking about through the ages. We're talking about civilization. We're talking about all these games that take these ideas from ancient, ancient civilization, from the Egyptians and the Greeks, all the way up through modern eras, and kind of the flow across that time. The mechanics of this don't really matter to me. I just love the idea of building a tableau, building a a group of characters or mechanics on my side of the table that represent this flow from the very basics of discovering fire and government and basic forms of human interaction all the way up to launching rockets into space. Civilization games do this in a way that is evocative and interesting and reminds you of classic computer games like Sid Meier's Civilization. And there, a lot of games try this and fail. The ones that succeed are superlative. And that's why number two is Civilization Games.
0: And our number one of the top 10 themes in board games is fantasy. Now, there's so much to say about fantasy. And obviously, Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and that whole universe kind of kind of is a thing in and of itself. But the game that I want to talk about is kind of how fantasy has expanded to different cultures and different mythologies. And in particular, Rising Sun is really the new hotness for utilizing the themes of these Onis and these lucky gods and all of these mythical creatures and characters as far as their takeover and usage in Japan. It really does a fantastic job, especially with all of those great miniatures, to invoke the feeling of fantasy and especially utilizing these creatures and their powers in order to influence the civilization so that's our number one theme of the top 10 themes in board gaming fantasy all right so that's everything for this week until next time this is chris and this is anthony and we'll save you all a seat at the table